You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a 3RRR film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordwell. I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Alexandra, Helen, Nicholas and Emma Westwood. Good evening to you both. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Emma. (laughs) Hello. We're all tired from Monster Fest. (laughs) Yes, you guys. Tired and blood splattered. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Monster Fest happened over the weekend, I gather. Triple R sponsors. It's all done? (laughs) Yes, it's all done. All done. done. Fast and furious. Finished last night with The Greasy Strangler, which is a film I deserve think it deserves to have its R rolled. <laughs> the greasy strangler. I've heard it's terrible. <laughs> Did you see it? It's greasy. I, it's I greasy. It. Yeah. It's a no. greasy no, film. No, I've been warned to stay away. The novelty value wears off it's, fast. Um, it doesn't hold back. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm pre- I've heard. What a nonsense thing to say as a critic. I, I look forward to seeing it and finding out and myself. And making your own judgment <laughs> exactly, in, a, in an exactly. objective way and not using the word problematic. Yeah. <laughs> That should be our oath. I vow to watch films objectively and not use the word problematic. Yeah, we, we do try to avoid <laughs> no, problematic we're I think we're really on the show where we say this is troubling instead. Or, or we flag the irony of the word problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this show's already off the rails. Well, sorry, oh, tell us where we're going. We've done we waffling and I think it's mostly my fault. <laughs> no. Okay, tonight we're going to look at uh, the story of the man responsible for making McDonald's synonymous with fast food in the US true life drama The Founder. And then we're going to take a look at uh, the story of a fencer trying to hide his past in post-World War II Soviet-controlled Estonia in the drama The Fencer. But first, Like Crazy is the new film by the acclaimed Italian writer-director Paolo Viesi. Uh, we covered his previous film, Human Capital, briefly on Plato's Cave a couple of years ago. Both Human Capital and Like Crazy star the prolific French-Italian actor Valeria Bruni-Tedeschi as Beatrice Moradini Valderana, a woman from a wealthy and privileged background who is being treated at a psychiatric institution in Tuscany. Her co-star is the Italian actor and wife of the director, Michaela Ramazzotti, who plays Donatella Morelli, a bruised and withdrawn woman who is also being treated at the clinic. Now, Beatrice is loud, bold and nosy, while Donatella is withdrawn and quiet. They seem like opposites, but nevertheless form a friendship and end up going on the run together. Like crazy, frequently teeters between comedy and drama as the audience learns more and more about the traumas both women have suffered while enjoying the camaraderie that goes between them. Now, I gather both of you were really taken by this film. Yes. Like lightning. Absolutely. Out of the sky. I did nothing about the blurb or any writing about this film. I'm, I, because I'm, it's kind of been described as Thelma and Louise meets One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is so reductive. <laughs> which is so horribly That's reductive. Brutal. <laughs> nothing about any description of this film warned me how much I would adore it. I'm, it, it, I'm, I'm it's pro Valeria. Meets, it's nothing meets nothing. It, you can't it's say its, it's own a meets. It's its yeah, own It's thing. very it's much its, its own, own thing. thing. It's a female yeah. dream team. <laughs> oh, God. I'm trolling. I'm trolling now, aren't I? My God. This really knocked my socks off. I was really yeah. not... It wasn't even that I was expecting nothing. I don't even think I was that committed to an expectation. Yeah. Um, it was just sort of, you know, I, Valeria, I think, was really the draw card for me. Um, and I think maybe it was the first 10 minutes I was completely sucked into this film. And I, I'm still unpacking 
a lot of the nuance about how it gets away with what it does. I think that, um, you know, the trope of the, of the quote unquote crazy female is, you know, is kind of been done to death in cinema and perhaps not wholly generously, intellectually a lot of the time. You know, it's yeah. a bit of a kind of weird spectacle, the crazy woman. Yeah, exactly. But they, they, were, they were kind of crazy then, but then completely sane within that craziness. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it was sort of about the insanity of the world and trying to cope within an insane world, it kind of felt to me. But it had, it was just so full. There's so much to love about this film. Like it just... The, to describe it is just love, love, you know, this, I love that, I love the colours, I love the characters. I think that um, Valeria, Valeria Bruni Tedeschi, older sister of a Carla, amazing family, Carla Bruni, that is. Ex-partner of Louis Garrel. She's just got to throw in a Louis Garrel when I my can. God, my God, this, this woman is probably one of my favourite characters of this year. I found her to be so so compelling and so gorgeous and so um, dodgy. So every, she was just a really well-rounded, interesting character. And I love that she, you know, can walk around uh, a nursery wearing um, like a silk dress and a pink parasol. I mean, it was just gorgeous. And um, that the film can shift. I mean, the tone of the film, it's so hard to say what the tone of this film is because it's its own tone, really. And it covers everything from laughter to tears and incredible sadness and it also manages to turn a particularly heinous act something that is inexcusable in any way if you would see it reported and turns it into something beautiful which was really 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 human yeah Yeah. amazing amazing it's such a smart film it's i mean it's very obviously very dependent on on really two extraordinarily solid performances but at no point did i feel that they were capital a acting you yeah. know, it didn't feel like this forced kind of Oscar bait, you know, hand on the forehead. Exactly. I am acting. I am a performer. Like it was, it was just, there it was just real so nuance to it. Easily and, have tipped as yeah. well. And I, and I think didn't. in the hands of lesser performers, I think in the hand of a lesser director, this would have been something that we have seen a thousand times yep. and turned off um, and or switched off. Yep. Exactly. Have you seen Human Capital or any no, of the... No, I haven't. And I haven't. Um, what I have seen, though, is um, Valeria Bruni Tedeschi's Castle in the Sky, which from 2013, which she, she directed, directed and, yep. and starred in. So that was sort of my only background to this. Yeah, what was that like? Human Capital was sensational and it was a real surprise, like this one was as well. Is Michaela Ramazzotti in, in that as well? Were they... I don't think mm-hmm. so. I should. I should. I know that they've beforehand. worked together before. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. Oh, look, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. It wasn't but, a um, pop quiz. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, but a hum, Human Capital was just a really great satire and class, mm-hmm. and um, in, in Italian society especially. And I think there's a little bit of that going on here. Oh, and in, in the end credits, we we we, we realise this is very. That there is a bit of a message element to this film as well. It's sort of looking at the level of care these people are getting, which has since been taken away, saying this was this was good therapeutic work because the um the doctors and nurses and by far you know they're not demonized at all in this film in fact they're showing a very uh, kind light saying that they were doing very very good work with these people look i just want to echo some of your sentiments i, I mean beatrice i think it's incredible when a character in a film you realize afterwards i would not want to know that person in real life <laughs> Because her politics are terrible. She's awful. You know, she, she would have voted She's Trump. She, she is a really horrible... Well, she mentions Berlusconi quite a yeah, few times. Yeah, she's sort of like... the closest thing yeah. the Europeans have had to Trump, and she's a big fan of him. <laughs> but, um, 
but she's wonderful in the film and you do adore her and want good things to happen to her even though she's so manipulative and conniving at, at points um you did mention that the, the the very heinous act that one of them has committed in the past which we we then find out more about as the film goes on I, I struggled with this aspect of the film. Did this you? was right. the point where I really started to... I, look, I overall think this is a remarkable film, but I was very, very troubled by the depiction of that as somehow a beautiful, romanticised thing. It was And the fact like that the that, audience yes. were encouraged to share that point of view, and I never got the feeling that the character herself saw it as anything but something romantically tragic. And I, I just think that was a horrible crime that she had, had committed and I yeah. do not think we should be trying to make excuses for it. I think okay. the film, I've been thinking a lot about this and I, this, I, as I said, this is one of those films that I think that I've spent a lot more time than I thought would be necessary unpacking just mentally. You know, like when you see a movie and, you know, a week later, mm-hmm. a fortnight later, a month later, you're still going over the nuances. There's a yeah. line, I think, more generally with representations of um, of not even female or, or women's insanity, but, but feminine insanity, this kind of gendered insanity, this hysteria, you know, yeah. this kind of tradition of hysteria. Um, there's always this weird politic about, um, you know, re- or verisimilitude, authenticity, you know, mm-hmm. that if it pushes it too far towards grittiness, then it can be considered exploitative. But at the other hand, if it's too polished... It's kind of insulting as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah, actually this absolutely. is something that's really horrible and affects a whole bunch of people and to kind of do this romanticised thing about it is also kind of icky. Yeah. And I think this film deals with that in a really shrewd way in that there's a conversation between the staff. It's one of the very few scenes in the film that don't involve either of the women where the staff are having a meeting. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, somebody says, well, I think that we should do X as a solution to the problem that is at the centre of the film. And somebody accuses them quite literally of Pollyannaism. And I think that's such a perfect word because yeah. I think it almost... And, and really the film, what happens from that point follows this kind of Pollyannaism mm-hmm. trajectory, this Pollyanna trajectory, and that it, it almost acknowledges that, yes, we are doing a kind of Pollyanna thing but there is, I think it balances that with with total subjectivity. You're talking about what um, specifically? What Thomas I think in was general. Yeah. I think not, just, general. not just that particular... Right. Okay. I know that moment is very much meant to portray character subjectivity for how she viewed the incident, hmm. but with the, the audience through the use of film style, especially music and, and lighting, are very much encouraged to feel the same way as her. And the way that character's narrative finalises in the film is also meant to very much encourage the audience to feel enormous sympathy for her and let her off the hook for that. Not that I'm saying that we should, you know, we should punish her. It's a complicated thing, but I'm so troubled by that act yeah, being presented as Yeah, I can, under- I can understand why you'd be troubled. Especially I- since it's something yeah. that's been in the news a lot lately and a lot of people have written about when men do this, they're yep. often let off the hook and, you know, he's just a good bloke, he was suffering mental illness and a lot of commentators correctly in my mind have jumped on this and, and called bullshit and said, yep. no, this is a really horrific thing this man has done. Why do we try to re- retrospectively redeem him? So I, but see, I think that that's the interesting thing, that it really made us question, like if you just sunk into the movie for a second, you're, you, you're with her and you go, oh, I, and then you go, hang on. You know, I wasn't with her. When I saw that scene unfolding, that's when the film lost me and I got I started uh, to get angry with it. But I think that there's All a right. thin line. I think that there is a really important line between apologising or justifying something that a character does and allowing that character's subjectivity. So I think that the film... And I think that it is important to do this and I think that a film like The Babadook mm. is really important because it shows what it's like to be in a situation where you do things that are not cool. 
Yep. Um, yep. Yep. Whereas I, I randomly pulled that as an example out of the air. Um, yeah. And look, and we, 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 whether you the ju- fact we've whether, seen whether a lot of films recently, I mean, too. I don't know whether I felt particular sympathy for that character. Um, I think I felt like. I understood where she was coming from and I was really glad that she was getting psychiatric help. Yes, like, yes. I think I, I was more interested from it in, ter- in, in it in terms of its filmmaking device and what it... Because it, it did make me... I sat there and questioned things. I didn't feel like it was so button-pushing that it was like a Spielberg sentimental moment, but he still managed to... For a moment, I was suspended and then I went, oh, no, this isn't right. Mm. And then I had to... Hmm. And then everything that unfolded afterwards, I'm like, well, does she deserve that? Or So I like the questioning that it actually brought up in me. Yeah. And, I, look, I, I kind of, to the film's credit, it didn't shy away from the very heavy issues. Like, it didn't, it, it, yeah, it didn't Pollyanna these characters. It wasn't presenting me- mental illness as a, a delightful affliction and how dare society lock these people up. It's like these were people who clearly needed treatment, who yeah. who, ha- were, who had displayed behaviours that were antisocial, were damaging, damaging to themselves and others, and, and part of their condition is having that realisation that they need to... They need to be part of protecting society from from themselves, yeah. and yeah. and you know, and I think the film does some really great work with that. Without, yeah, it doesn't shy away from the re- reality of it. But mm-hmm. I s- still, Made you uncomfortable. yeah, I really and and, and I and I, I really feel like they were trying to present this as a a tragic moment in her life, and they were trying to say to the audience, "Don't judge her for having done this because it's part of her mental illness." So we should let her off the hook to a degree, and, and I'm not buying it. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It actually reminded me more of, um, you know, Lilith? Especially since, I should know, say also... Lilith, the Robert Rosen film with Gene Seinberg and Warren Beatty, a really young Warren Beatty? No. no yeah, no, like, I, 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 I didn't feel that it was total... Like, I, I, yeah, I just don't think that character alignment is necessary, like, necessarily an excuse. Like, so I was with, with these characters, but I don't mm. think I particularly... Like, uh... Beatrice. I never liked her, but I was with her by the end. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's a horrific human being. Mm. I think we, and I think it's yeah. the same with but both the sta- of the, the characters. the stakes are radically like, different, though. It's, it's around the character of Donatella, we can mm. say that yeah. to people. I think it was really told from Donatella's perspective, so maybe mm. it's more about what she was seeing in her head and that peace that she had at that moment. And even though it's not right, mm. it's... It's what they wanted to, as a filmmaker, he's trying to convey that to us and going, you feel like what it is to be in her head, even if it's not right. It's not an excuse. Yeah, no, and I, I, I get yeah, that. No, yeah, I, I get that's that. what I felt too. For me, there's just, there, there needed to be something to acknowledge that was really just in her head or something, Some at some point. I mean, I think ultimately she does realise she can't have what she wants for a very good reason, but I don't ever feel like there was the point that the character even realised that. I think I'm saying this, and that there is a line <laughs> where where Beatrice actually makes one comment to her, like "Thank God, this then yeah, happens." Yeah. So, yeah, look, I, I'm not by no means am I writing this film off, and I and the, the reason I raise this is I think it's a really interesting topic to talk yeah, about. Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly. It is one of those films because that, it's it's getting heavy into cinematic subjectivity yeah, and, and questions yep, of, of ethics absolutely. and how they represent and mental illness. It doesn't it's feel like it is. Like it yeah. doesn't feel like it's one of those films dealing with heavy issues when you like you could take you know if you're looking for a movie to see with your mum, this would be a, you know what I mean? It's oh, sort of yeah. it's a lovely. It's not really feel good, but not feel bad. Beautiful either, landscapes. You know? Yeah, like it's a gorgeous. It's how you, the tone of humour reminded Vita. me of Tangerine. 
Yeah. In the yeah. sense that both films have been described by some people as comedies, and I just found them really nervy films. Like, the comedy was almost a nervous it's laugh. It's got yes. humour in it, but it's not... I mean, yeah. I, I, I did not see, like, crazy at all as a comedy. No. Like, Although um, I did laugh... You it know, has I, funny I did laugh parts. out loud yep. at points because the characters yeah. are, are delightful and unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I think comedy kind of undermines the material, which is precisely what we've just been talking about. This is one of those films that I, I want... I want just everybody to see. Like, I want everybody to go out and see it and have these conversations. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we talk about. But there's it. nothing, you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. nothing, there's just nothing about even the title, like, crazy. I think there was a film in 2011 there that was, had the same yeah. name. There was an American yeah. indie with, yeah. oh, bless him, with, um, what's his name? Anto- Anton Yelchin. <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah, right. the lovely Anton Yelchin. Never Yelchin. forget. And the lovely actor who's going to be the star of the new Star Wars film. I've forgotten her name, too. Felicity, Felicity Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like like crazy. It sounds it sounds like that. It sounds like an indie comedy, like a sort of oh, and yeah, the poster is all a bit oh, whimsical then, film about love. And yeah, and you watch it, happens, and it's yeah. like oh, you maybe know, maybe the it Italian sounds, ladies sure are crazy. Maybe it sounds better in Italian. <laughs> yeah. than in it, Italian. Has, it, it has a beautiful title in Italian. I should also say this crime that we, we're talking about. We've seen it in a couple of films in the last twenty four months. I mean, it, it happened in The Homesman, and it also happened in Sunset Song, which is a film I loved. Yeah. And both films moved on very very quickly from the those moments without much commentary so so again i you know what i enjoy about presenting this show is often i change my mind on the spot because i'm thinking <laughs> at least this film dealt with the issue and gave us the perspective of the character and which also I made it and also made it contemporary and i think that's a really big thing is that when you make this stuff like both of those films that you've mentioned are set in a historical past so it sort times, of quarantines yeah. it as a people used to do terrible things mm-hmm. but whereas like crazy is now yep. it's mm-hmm. a very contemporary thing and i think that there's a huge ethical switch when we do that when when filmmakers you know set things in a historical distant yeah it doesn't make those kind of events seem distant like Mm. thank thank god we don't have to deal with that now you know look i still think it's a really great film and i'm glad i got to chat with you too it's it's a tricky one (laughs) on air because it It is is. it is complex and um i hope everybody listening got something out of that and would be inspired and curious to go and seek it out themselves it's it's definitely worth it's essential it's really one of the most essential films of the last couple of months and you can take your mum and you can have this conversation Mm. with her about it You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. The founder is a US film starring Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc, the businessman who in the 1950s began franchising McDonald's restaurants, eventually owned the company and revolutionised the fast food industry to create the behemoth that is stronger than ever today. The Founder is a straightforward human drama sequence of events story where we are introduced to Croc as an aspirational on-the-road salesman who meets the McDonald's brothers, played by John Carroll Lynch and Nick Offerman. And he's blown away by the efficient system they have created to serve set menu food items quickly. Croc goes into business with the McDonald's to franchise their original concept restaurant, but soon starts clashing over issues of growth, quality control and ethics. The founder is directed by John Lee Hancock, whose most recent films prior to this were Saving Mr Banks and The Wild... The uh, wild, the wild side, the blind side. The blind side. <laughs> I've even written the blind side here. Why am I saying wild? Cause that's because that's where you live. <laughs> I want to be on the yeah. wild side. Just You're taking I, a walk for on the, the record. Wild the blind side. side was a repugnant <laughs> film which I loathed. <laughs> Um, I, almost, I almost didn't go to see this film because I hated that so much. Um, <laughs> but it was written by Robert D. Siegel, whose most interesting credit prior to this was writing Darren Aronofsky's 2008 film, The Wrestler, 
which mm. is by far, by a long, long, long shot, my favourite Aronofsky film. Anyway, yes. enough about other films. The founder. <laughs> this film. You, you, you went along to see this as well, Emma. What I did. did. Well, I did. What do you think? People have kind of gone a bit nuts about this film, and I'm not 100% sure I understand why. I think I'm the same as you. Yep. Maybe because it's McDonald's. Do you guys eat McDonald's? I didn't see this film because I was too busy eating McDonald's. So <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe you need to have like a specific. Well, I, you I, know. I really tried not to. McDonald's is the shame food for me. It's 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 hungover. It it's yeah. It's it's when I'm in a very very dark it's, place. It's from from my uni years was my where my McDonald's years. But Bourbon now, and Coke and um, McDonald's. Well, now I find that I, when you don't eat. McDonald's for a, a while, it sort of um, slides through your body and out the other side. So that got graphic <laughs> really fast. If it's coming out the side, you should, should see a doctor. It's no, no, to go no, out the side. Uh, not uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say it's... Uh, it keeps you regular? It keeps me regular. It's yeah, look, so I, d- I, I don't usually I have it. personally do not think it's very quality food. No. <laughs> How's the movie? How's the movie? Which, yes. which, which, funnily enough, is an issue that does not even come up in the film. They don't even what? talk about... Fibre? No, I actually thought this was interesting. I All thought right, that yep. quality did come up. As um, as a point, nineteen fifties quality though. I see where you're going yeah. with this. I like it. Good. Where there, yes, where that was because um, the McDonald's brothers did actually build their store around quality. Yeah, and what they believed was serving great burgers in a nineteen fifty sense. Maybe nutritionally now we think a little bit differently, but um, there was an issue around powdered using powdered milk at some stage, which was something that Ray Kroc, who is the founder of this uh, film, the so-called founder of McDonald's, is he or is he not? That depends on you when you watch the film. Um, he, uh, they, he presents them with this option so they don't have to store ice cream and they said, how can you have a milkshake Without ice cream, it's got to have milk in it. So he, were, they were all about we've got to keep it down to the proper quality, da-da-da-da-da, and Ray Kroc was coming in with other things. So I think that they were actually about the quality of the product. This was the most interesting aspect of the film, actually, yes. how they showed you there was a... There was a Big difference between what McDonald's was originally, that original store, and and those actors are John Carroll Lynch and Nick Offerman as the two brothers. Yeah. They're really gorgeous. I think they're the ones who should be getting the real credit for this film. It's, it's they they really beautifully portray these Absolutely. these two men who have been slogging it out all their lives, and they finally come across something that works. And they're just they're, they're lovely characters, and they're they're lovely actors, and all well, that this... works well. But um, yeah. But what we see in the film is they create this store built around the idea of the family restaurant, which was very different. That was a new thing at the time. They wanted to move on to juvenile delinquents. Who I, love, I love the word. As soon as they said <laughs> juvenile delinquents, I went straight to John Waters films. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I love I, it. I, I did get the it. The blob. And, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I do love a good bit of juvenile delinquency. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this idea of a family restaurant and really efficient really efficient workstations and mm. and I mean that was the interesting story how this guy came in and took the brand of that took the image of good wholesome American food that's made efficiently and kind of stripped away everything that was good about it but maintained the marketing 
the the brand, and that's what he sold to the rest of the country and then the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think this is, I mean, this director, who, his previous films haven't exactly been subversive masterpieces, so that's why I was very cynical going into this film. <laughs> and and I think it does very slyly tell us that's what McDonald's did. It, it sold us the mythology that it helped to destroy. Yes, yeah. I'm really curious, what, do you guys know where McDonald's stand as a corporation now in relation to this film like what's their response i'm not to i'm it? not sure in terms of the film but i know uh with ray Kroc, they they did have as part of their corporate um information ray Kroc as the founder um i think they have changed that now to acknowledge the mcdonald's brothers for actually being the founders because really they are when it comes down to it semantics aside they were the founders um but i I, the thing about this film though i can see how a lot of people now we're looking at a biopic so it's always worthwhile having a little bit of a read up and seeing what is true and what isn't but um i think certain person would come away on the side of ray Kroc, to be totally honest and other people on the side of the mcdonald's brothers there's a little bit of a sort of artist being exploited thing here i feel with the mcdonald's brothers they're the ones that they're the creators they actually created it all and ray crock had nothing i mean even at one point he does say who would go and eat at a restaurant called croc or crocs you know mcdonald your, your name is the the thing and they and he takes it and he exploits it quite impressively but then um they they show the dodgy deal that the the McDonald brothers go along with that Nelly drives Ray Kroc into financial ruin. It's not until he decides to actually buy the ground that the McDonald's stores are located on that he actually starts making money. So that's that sort of paints the McDonald's brothers in a bad light. Yeah, I, that, that's quite well observed. It, it does feel like the filmmaker is trying to. Do it so they can have it both ways. Yeah, but um, yeah. I, I mean, I still saw it as very black and white archetypes. The way these people were presented, um, mm. it, it was one of those films. I was really hyper aware that what we're seeing is obviously based on hearsay. I mean, the, the, there's a whole thing at the end about a, a, a verbal agreement that was then later broken. But we have no idea whether that verbal agreement was made or not because it was just a verbal agreement. And the yeah, film yeah. makes it very... The film seems to explicitly suggest, oh, yeah, that, that verbal agreement happened. I think it, that comes... There have been some docos about this as well, and I think it has been documented. There was one thing that was interesting about the whole... Because they kind of say, and the argument in favour of Croc here, I think the strongest one was, well, the McDonald's brothers were never going to go beyond what they were. So... He's he's taken it to another level and he should have that acclaim. But they in the film it really says that they started franchising and it didn't work, so they stopped. But I, I read it up I read up on it and it said that they actually had at the time Croc came to them twenty franchises and they owned eight restaurants themselves. So that gives a totally different spin on it. It's very different. Again, in the film yes. it suggests they had five or six which were all failures. Yep. And then when he suggested the idea of franchising, they said, Oh yeah, okay, and reluctantly went along with the idea. Yep. Well, yeah. the, the reason why he was able to step in was um, they were having uh, something about their, their franchising agent had um, left them. So he said, okay, can I take up the franchising options then? So so it gives it slightly 
different spin to it. But mm. I mean, this is, you know, this this isn't a stunning piece of filmmaking in any way. It's quite well, I mean, I, straightforward. I'm all for those tweaks if it makes the film more dramatically interesting, but this film just kind of peters out to nowhere. It, yes. I, I, it's not... The film I kind of found myself bizarrely comparing it to was The Wolf of Wall Street, which is also about a very charismatic man who plays the system, screws over an enormous amount of people to, you know but still has his fans. I mean, and the bizarre yeah. thing about... And some people some people came down very heavily on that film for pandering to people who like what he did, which I think is a little unfair to the film. Because, I do too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I see it as just another one of Scorsese's gangster films. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, but I could see that dynamic happening here as well and people possibly of a certain, you know... Patrick Bateman mindset might actually find Croc appealing. Absolutely. No, how, no, I agree. How much of the founder is based on this sort of aura or this mythology around McDonald's? I mean, I think that when I saw the trailer to this, it was like, is is, is this really worth a film? Like, it's, it's like I haven't seen it, like so I can't answer that. So there's moments where you first see the design of the Golden mm-hmm. Arches and the film is very much like, yeah. this is the moment. Oh. Yeah. Sort of <laughs> handles Messiah playing in the background. Yeah, the burgers wrapped in paper. Because I, I don't feel that way about McDonald's. Yeah. But is no. that just me? <laughs> no, but I think it's something that everyone knows so well. Even yeah. if uh, a person doesn't go to McDonald's, they know McDonald's so well. It, it is one of them. I mean, I, I forget what's the winning, you know, it is what, it's, it's definitely in the top five, if not the type three recognised brands in the entire world. I mean, yeah. They, and, and that's even addressed in the film. I did quite like the speech where he says, I want you to be as well known as the crucifix on top of the church, like those golden yes. arches. I want them to have the same power. That was a great, that was great the way you positioned it. He said, yeah. "What was it? The the church on one side, McDonald's on the inside, on the and courts, I forget the the the, the, and, the courts. And, yeah, the he county was creating court with the American flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was creating how how it's become so much a fabric of town life, not just city life, but town life right through America and the Midwest and all of that. But I think my favourite sequence of this film was um, that little choreography on the tennis court where the McDonald's brothers showed how they worked out their system and how they created, they actually marked it out with chalk the way their kitchen would be set up and then they they played it out like a theatre production trying, like, moving things between yeah, each other. Before they got there, yeah. It's very Dogville. Yes, yeah. yeah. That was a great sequence. And look, yeah. looking back, I really enjoyed, say, the first half of this film. Yeah. And the second half, I thought was fine. I, I, I just, I think this, this is a, a decent, you know, Sunday afternoon film. Um, and I, I think Michael Keaton is fine in it. He's done a lot better. I think all the calls for him to get an Oscar for this are more out of sympathy for the fact he's been passed over before. <laughs> yes. I, I think this is a perfectly fine film, but it, it's far from a, a masterpiece. Yep, I'm the same as you. Three triple R. The Fencer is an Estonian, Finnish, and German co production that is a fictionalised account of a key incident in the life of real life Estonian fencing master Endel Nilis. Uh, it's set just after World War Two. It was during the beginning of the era where the Soviets had driven the Nazis out of Estonia and then annexed the country for themselves. Many Estonian men who had been forcibly drafted into the German army were then considered to be war criminals by the Soviets. 
So this is told to us at the start of the film and we can very easily draw our own conclusions about why Nellis has relocated to a small town in Estonia in the hope of drawing as little attention to himself as possible as he reluctantly works as a new sports teacher at the local school. His passion for fencing soon leads him into teaching the local children to fence. The Fencer is directed by the emerging Finnish director Klaus Harrell. It is the first film screenplay by novelist Anna Heinema. And the lead role is played by Mart Vandi, an Estonian actor who is predominantly known for his comedic acting, which makes two weeks in a row where we've had a very serious film with a very serious lead role played by somebody who's known for their, their comedy, which I would not have picked having watched the film. Not at all. Actually, I pick it for I, Daniel Blake, but not for this one at all. I didn't think he... Did he crack a joke or did he have even a, a wry smile? The, 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 the corner of his mouth turned up ever so slightly at one moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, he's an interesting guy. He um, he does a huge amount of charity work. Oh. This, this is the actor? Yeah, yep. the actor. His name's uh, Mart Avandi. Uh, Matt, Matt Avandi, my... my my, was my, I vaguely close? I don't um, know. It's got the... My apologies <laughs> it's got to... Any, I'm not yeah, even yeah, going to try. Yeah. My apologies to any Estonian listeners. I've just butchered your beautiful language. We, we lost um, the Estonians years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's remarkable. So he's um, the head, like the grand poobah of the Estonian Union of Parents with Children with Cancer. So he does a huge amount of charity work. But as a comedian, he's quite famous for organising um, rubber duck charity races. Yeah. So he's very hands-on with his charity work. He's, wow. like, a, he's no. like a star. Like He's like this Estonian comic guy. He also does a lot of theatre. And big on TV, I believe. He's yeah, a TV yeah, presenter. He's like, yeah. um, so he's apparently quite a familiar face, um, which all of that I think just comes together beautifully here. I mean, he's, his performance is so nuanced that I never would have picked this as a stage performer because there's not... I mean, obviously, you know, when he's fencing, he has these beautiful gestures... But so much of this film is about his face that barely moves at all. And, you know, you really have to search for these quite minute details. I honestly thought, fencing? I don't, I don't care. What do I know about fencing? I don't know nothing about fencing. Now and, you know about fencing, and I though. Was, um, <laughs> I, I used to fence. Were you beautiful? No. Did you have the little no, hands? No, it didn't last long. Because he was... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I dabbled in that for a... Yeah, I still I'll, want to know why they hold their hand up. Because it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Is that why? Yeah. They're show-offs. And it's beautiful. I'm just going to oh, keep saying this over and over again. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. I was drawn to the beauty of the sport yeah. and then I realised... <laughs> you do, you do need, uh, I, I am a potato. I was yeah. hoping that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Alex, but you're, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> you're, you're not a potato, but you know, I'm as a general you. <laughs> oh, God. Back to the film. It's all taken a nasty turn. I did not think that I would really get into this film as much as I did, and I wonder how much of that, and I think that perhaps as we continue through the next four years in particular, this might happen a lot where the broader political climate in which we watch cinema strongly influences our perception of stories in ways that they might not have had things worked out differently politically on the international kind of forum in the last kind of month mm -hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. um, and all I could think watching this film, and I, I, it was one of those things that once, once I got it in my head, it's like if you... You know, if you work with someone, if you've got a relative, like an older relative that you've never really talked, that you can't find an inroads into talking about political oppression, take them to see this movie. Mm. Just, this is a really good, I mean, it's not, it's not like crazy, but it's a good conversation starter. Yeah. And because it's set at this sort of historical distance, you're not in this kind of heated territory of talking about the now. Mm. I think it's a really great film to actually start nutting out 
just these ideas of oppression and you wow. know these really kind of heavy political things yeah. that are so important now and i really i found a real urgency to this film that is obviously just luck you know i mean bad luck perhaps but you know obviously that wasn't intentional when they made this film yeah yeah but i was really you know really quite moved at how contemporary it was it's and funny how though that that just living in a post-trump world now yeah everything how looks that you see it you just see stuff through a different I mean, lens i would yeah. see yeah, uh, fantastic beasts you yep. know and, and 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 that just feels like it was made post-trump even yep. though it wasn't uh, it's just going to happen more and more it's absolutely it's getting harder and harder to distance ourselves from i don't it. i don't think that we can quarantine ourselves yeah. from it and this felt well, it's because st- we've always had stories about the dangers of personal Execution, yeah. and suddenly it's 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 alarmingly real. Yeah, yeah. Stories about Nazis suddenly mean something. Yeah, a lot more urgent. And stories about yeah, you know, yeah, the, the, they're no longer the, cautionary the, tales. They're really urgent. Sent, Holy shit, we're going to go down this route again if we're not careful. Being yeah. sent to Siberia is not this olden days story anymore. You know, it's mm. a sort of like actually there is a kind of. The other interesting thing I, I felt when watching this is we're starting to get, and this is getting very specific to the history of this film, mm. is we're starting, at the further we move away from the Holocaust, the more we're, we're getting into some of the nuances. And we're starting to get more stories that examine the fact that not all Germans were evil people and, and they were often caught up as much as anybody else in the violence. And also, not all Nazis were necessarily bad people because people were forced to join this party and just, you know, we, we really have to look beyond people's affiliation, you know. Just breaking down the mm. nuance and how do yeah. people work within these systems. And it got me thinking, I mean, I thought of the, you know, the, the beautiful Australian film Lore, um, a few other films I've seen I've seen recently through, through my job coming out of Germany and Austria, are, are kind of looking at these nuances. Um, and it got me thinking about, you know, the, 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 the plight even of refugees in Australia. I mean, there were people fleeing oppressive regimes but they're assumed to be part of what they're fleeing from and it's 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 grotesque and it's ugly and it's unfair and it's 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 just simplifying the problem is causing so much harm just breaking it down to these kind of human stories and i think that's what the fencer does so beautifully and a lot of it i think really relies on this actor's performance it reminded me a lot he just works so well with children Mm, um, you just, yeah. I mean, so much of the energy and the and the politics, the capital P, P politics of this film is about um, the way that he just moves in space and negotiates these very small people who mm. a lot of them are, are orphans, you know, parents, grandparents sent to Siberia, you know, really traumatised young people. Um, the intensity of this relationship that he had with these children that he really initially didn't care for it kept reminding me of um, Vincent Cassell's performance in Partisan. Oh yeah, um, just this really sort of strong, yeah, like strong, strong male child interactions. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's interesting. You're talking about it in the, the post-Trump world and things like that because it didn't really resonate. I mean, that's all there, but it didn't really hit me on that level. To be totally honest, um, I found it to be sort of more of a, a lightweight, easy. Just what, you know, sit in front of the TV one night and you feel like, you know, watching something that's not going to challenge you too much, that's still pretty and still a strong story. That's, that's all I really got from it. Is that terrible? Well, despite everything I said, and I am interested in the issues it raises, I yeah. found this pretty pedestrian and generic it's as a, well. It's, yeah. a, it's a biopic. It is light and well, it's not it's, radical cinema by any stretch. It starts off very much the aspira- aspirational teacher thing that you know he's he's inspiring the kids bucking against the system there's the headmaster who wants him to fail and then it becomes a fairly by numbers sports drama and and i found he switched from being reluctant to engage and not liking the kids to then being all in it 
just seemed to happen instantly. I didn't see any progression of character. It just went from A to B very quickly. Yeah, it seemed to, to it seemed to work more on the level of um, one of the you know the teacher student dynamic, which it kind of felt to me like a less engaging to Sir with love with more um, better disciplined children and the teachers more the one that has the. The, the art that comes around from, like, the, the kids kind of teach him and bring him into, despite that the, there was much grander storyline going going on there. Um, yeah, it sort of felt like a little teacher-student teacher film, really, to me. Not that that's a bad thing. It's a soft film, I think, is, a, is the word that I would use for it. It's certainly not yeah. hard-hitting radical cinema. No. Um, it feels like, yeah, I think it's a good film to watch with your mum or watch on a plane. Yeah, like it felt, but I mean, I I really liked it. I I just thought, and I got a lot out of it. I think because of the the actor, the main actor, um, Avandi's performance. I thought he was just just captivating, yeah. I, and I just loved his relationship with those children. I think, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think look, he was he was absolutely he was excellent in it, and um, especially for someone who's so po faced through the, to hold the the whole film together, that is such a big deal. Um, it, it's also testament to just like World War Two. I mean, what a mine of stories. I mean, they're still coming yeah, out. I had you know, I've it's heard, incredible. I knew nothing about Estonia during that period. I have to say, this is like That's my right, this yeah. was the yeah. first, and and it's I know that I say this virtually every show, but when I watch a film. It's just show me something new, tell me something new, tell me something that yeah. I don't know. It doesn't have to be historical fact, like we were looking at Neon Bull last week. Just tell me a story that I don't know. Tell me about a part of the world that I don't know. Just tell me something that I don't know. Make me an yeah. interesting person. And, I, and this ticked that box for me. Mm, mm. Oh, good, good. I mean, yeah, I, yeah I, just to add to that, I get very frustrated when people sort of moan and say, do we really need another World War II film or another Holocaust film? And I think, it's well, bloody. yes, because yeah, it's bloody yeah. important. Yeah, it is. We cannot forget. And we've seen what happens when people yep. forget. Um, and and these stories have so many nuances, and it's you know we, already this year with with the fencer and son of Saul are two radically different perspectives on the Holocaust and World War Two that we, we didn't know. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I feel the richer for having seen them. Look, I, I didn't love the fencer, but I, I don't resent watching it at all. No, the other thing no, I was yeah. thinking of was the Chris and Pe- uh, Christian Petzold film that we looked at last year. What was that? Last Christian Petzold film. You're putting me on the spot. I know. Right I'm, I'm just gunning for you tonight, Caldwell. Oh, no. um, you notice, though, that she doesn't have the answers. No. <laughs> just show them to you. I'm just asking these questions rhetorically. Come on, Thomas. We did it about it a year ago. Um, I have gone blank on the name. It's one. I'm, I'm going to do charades in a minute. What was his previous film? He's a Christian. <laughs> he's a C-R-I-S Christian, isn't he? C-R-I-S. Yes. Christian Petzold, P-E-T-Z-O-L-D. Yeah. This is quality radio. Listen to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> While we look up IMDb. <laughs> Christian Petzold's last film using... was brilliant. We talked about it last year. I'll try to round this out for the question. Phoenix. Thank you. Yeah. Phoenix. Phoenix, right, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get bollocked up. Yeah, Phoenix is another film that's worth mentioning, yeah. Um, and Phoenix is, I mean, I think it goes without saying that Phoenix and Son of Saul are far superior films to The Fencer. They're also a lot harder Um in a lot of ways or, you know, not, not yeah. more brutal or maybe some of, you know, they're not as soft as this film. But, I, yeah, it's like we're not going over the same thing in these Look, films. The you know, we're coming at these things in different angles. Yeah. And we don't get heaps of cinema from Estonia. Yep. That's a triumph. You know, that, that's something itself. Yeah. It yeah. told me yeah. something I didn't know about a place I don't know much about. It's still worth your while. Yeah. Yep. We should get out of here because we're just, we're just babbling. Um, <laughs> we should say this is... So next week we're going to do our wrap-up of the year show. So Cerise Howell will be joining us and all four of us are going to talk about our top ten favourite films of the year. It's a show I do really enjoy every year. 
And in the week after that, you're going to be stuck alone with me, and I'm just going to play music from the films of the year. So this is our second last show as a group, our third last show for the year. So those should be pretty good shows, so listen to those. We'll, we'll have Wikipedia so and IMDb open so we can look up anything <laughs> we need to. And I will keep my questions to a minimum. Excellent. And Alex will give me all the questions beforehand. <laughs> like Crazy is on limited release courtesy of Hyde Loss Entertainment. The Founder is on general release courtesy of Roadshow Films. And The Fencer is on, lim- is on limited release release courtesy of Palace Films. You've been listening to Thomas Cordwell, Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood on Plato's Cave. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.